Florida Matters is supported by WUSF members just like you. Your donation of $5 or $25 will help ensure public radio thrives. And thanks to Candy Olson, an additional $50 will be added to your donation. Visit WUSF.org match to maximize your gift today. Welcome to Florida Matters. I'm Bradley George. If you're one of the thousands of voters across the greater Tampa Bay region who requested a mail-in ballot, it's probably lying on your living room table waiting for you to pick it up from your mailbox. My ballot arrived two Saturdays ago. I filled it out and returned it to the post office the same day. And on the following Monday, I got a text message saying it had been received by the supervisor of elections office. For many of you, this will be your first time voting by mail. The coronavirus pandemic and the effort to practice social distancing has led to a boom in requests for mail-in ballots. But exactly how does the process work? What happens if you make a mistake? Besides the top of the ballot presidential race, what are some other important contests that we need to pay attention to? Election day is less than a month away. And joining us by Zoom to answer some of those questions is WUSF's politics reporter, Steve Newborn and Tampa Bay Times correspondent and political analyst, William March. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us. Glad to be here. Glad to be here. Uh, Steve, let me start with you. Vote by mail, we know it's going to be big in Florida this year. Uh, Already 600,000 Floridians have have returned their mail-in ballots, with more than 10% of requested vote by mail ballots turned into supervisor of elections. Just give me a little bit of history of vote by mail in Florida, and who who traditionally has, has used it in the past? Yeah, the vote by mail has been a really a centerpiece of uh, elections in Florida for almost 20 years now. We've had a, a head start on a lot of other states. Some states still don't have it. I believe even, even a big state like New York would actually have to go to the polls. That might have changed during the coronavirus pandemic, but uh, we have a long history of this. So like you said, election supervisors have already sent out the mail-in ballots, and we're preparing for a major jump in voters choosing that option, obviously because of the pandemic. So uh you know, like you, I got one in the mail last week, and uh, even though I voted by uh, mail in the primary, I don't remember asking for one for the general elections. That's because I like to kind of go there and gauge the field of polls on election day. So they're sending them to just about everybody. But obviously, you know, because of the pandemic, it's kind of being held as a necessity now for people who don't want to actually have to go to a public place and breathe the same air as everybody else. So I think we're going to be seeing a lot more numbers this year because of that. William, when we look at the Republican and Democratic parties, historically in Florida, has a a set of voters for one party gravitated more to vote by mail than the other? Yes, it's exactly what happened. Like Steve said, Florida went to no excuses, no fault vote by mail after the 2000 election fiasco. The thing about mail-in voting is it gives the parties a really good mechanism for tracking their voters and turning out their their base. You can find out who has requested a mail ballot, and then you can look on your voter database and contact that person and make sure that person gets that ballot sent back in or, or else gets it to the polls. So it's a great way for parties to track and boost their turnout and put their votes in the bank before election day. So After we got this no excuses, no fault mail-in voting, the Republican Party very shrewdly jumped on it, started developing a really strong, effective mechanism for what they call chasing absentees, and that is tracking 
the mail-in voters. And Republicans built up a huge lead and huge amounts of expertise in tracking those ma their mail-in voters and getting their votes in the bank before Election Day. The last couple of years, Democrats have now started to catch up. And this year, at least because of the partisan argument over mail-in voting, Democrats are far exceeding Republicans in getting their voters to request and return mail-in ballots. Steve, as William just alluded there, you know, Republicans have had a, an advantage with, with mail-in ballots in Florida historically, but this year we've had the complication of, of President Trump raising all kinds of uh, unfounded accusations about mail-in voting and fraud. I wonder, as you've uh, as you've talked to Republican candidates and and Republican officials, has that has that message from the president uh, frustrated them at all about about their ability to turn out vote by mail voters in Florida this year? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a, a lot that comes down from Washington that frustrates the uh, the local officials down here. It, it's almost imperative for the Republicans to make up as many ballots as they can, and mail-in ballots are going to be huge this year, right? So uh, I believe uh, some statistics say that as many as maybe half to three quarters of the vote this year might be mail-in ballots. So it's it's not something that you can really open up to political demagoguery. I think you're going to lose a lot of votes that way. Um, so, you know, what we've been hearing is Republicans and Democrats are both exhorting their backers to vote any way they can. And if that's mail-in ballots going to the, going to the polls, Anything, they're just telling them to do it, just get out. And how soon uh, can elections offices start counting these ballots? I think they're starting to count them now. They can count the early ballots as soon as they get them. They can't release them until election day. So you hear one point of argument that, oh, there's going to be so many mail-in ballots and it's going to delay the election counting and we won't know the results until much later than normal. I don't think it's going to be any different than in the past because we're already counting those ballots that have been cast already. So it's the mail-in ballots that come in the day before or the day of the election that's going to drag out the election tabulation. And William, Florida is unique in that way because there are some states where um, election officials can't count those ballots until polls close on election night. Yes, that's right, Bradley. And that's going to cause an interesting situation on election night. The funny thing is, Florida, which has been sort of, you know, the election's joke in several recent elections going back to 2000, might turn out to be the star of the night on election night because, as Steve just pointed out, our elections people can start counting those mail-in ballots, and I believe the actual law says they can count them 21 days, starting 21 days before the election. Then on election night, they've already got those counted, and you will see a huge dump of absentee ballot results come out as soon as the polls close. And with comparatively few votes cast on election day, Florida could very easily be the first big battleground state in the nation to have its results posted. But a lot of states, I don't know the numbers, but most states cannot count those ballots early. They have to wait until election day, and that's going to cause a delay of at least a day, maybe more, in several of the major battleground states. So Florida is likely to be the star of the night turning out its results early, whereas other important battleground states that could decide the election could easily be delayed a day or two or more. 
Steve, here in Florida, uh, the administration of elections is really up to county election supervisors. What are they doing to get ready for this surge in vote-by-mail ballots that they've got to process? Well, they've hired a lot more tabulators. That's really all they can do right now. So they've hired a lot more people who are going to count the ballots in advance, and they've opened up a lot of uh, early voting sites, too. Um, Many counties have as many as a dozen early voting sites, so you could do that as well. They have beefed up their ranks, really, to make sure that there will be, hopefully, no problems here. And uh, like William said, we might be the, uh, the shining star of the, the country, which doesn't say a lot for the rest of the country now, does it? And the, some of these early voting sites also include places where people can drop off their, uh, their vote-by-mail ballots if they don't want to stick them in the mail. Right. Yeah, you have that option. So the overriding concern here is to get your mail-in ballot in early. So you should do it by at least a week out from the election. Uh, You can mail it anytime, but if you feel uncomfortable with it getting there too late, you could just go by one of these early voting sites or to the supervisor of election sites in your county and just hand it off. Drop it off right there. You know it's going to make it peace of mind, right? So what if I made a mistake with my ballot or I get some kind of a message from the election supervisor's office saying they found an error with my ballot? Right. So uh, by far, like I just said, the biggest mistake people make is mailing it in too late. A lot of people also mail in their spouse's ballot or they sign it and it's their spouse's and the signatures don't match up. So what they do is the election supervisors many times will call you or you can actually request on their website to be notified when your ballot comes in or if there's a problem. And they will send you a, uh, a form to fill out or most of the time it's signatures seem to be the, the, the major thing. So, you know, if you have some kind of physical disability and your signature doesn't match what is on record, it's changed over time. You have the option of going there and signing something to, where they can physically match your signature to the signature that's on file. And uh, there's also things called um, like ballot scouts or ballot trackers where you can actually just fill out a a form online with your supervisor of elections and um, they will contact you when they get your ballot. Uh, Again, this gives you peace of mind and if something is wrong, they'll contact you. There's plenty of ways to make sure your ballot counts in the end. You're listening to Florida Matters. I'm Bradley George. We're talking about vote by mail in Florida with WUSF politics reporter Steve Newborn and Tampa Bay Times correspondent and political analyst William March. We're going to take a short break here. And when we return, we're going to talk about what's on the ballot besides the presidential race. You're listening to Florida Matters. This is Florida Matters on WUSF 89.7. I'm Bradley George, and we're talking about vote by mail in the 2020 election with WUSF politics reporter Steve Newborn and William March, a correspondent for the Tampa Bay Times and a political analyst. They're both joining us today via Zoom. So, Steve, the big contest, of course, is the presidential race. Joe Biden is, is spending some time uh, in the state this week uh, courting uh, Latino voters and Haitian voters in South Florida. President Trump was supposed to hold a rally in Sanford last week and then came his uh, coronavirus uh, diagnosis. Right. Bad timing for him, right? As we all know, Trump feeds off of these rallies. He gets a lot of energy. He motivates his base to come out. He has huge numbers of people come out. 
uh, four years ago, I went to his first rally in Tampa at the Sun Dome, and it was overflowing. There was 12,000 people there. They all couldn't fit in. So this is obviously a major part of his campaign strategy, and this puts a big chink in that armor. So he's going to probably end up reverting to what the Democrats have been doing, which is mostly online Zoom meetings. The Democrats have Zoom meetings for every demographic out there. I've sat in a couple of Latinos for Biden meetings and such, and they really have them zoomed in, to use a bad pun, on each demographic. So um, obviously Biden is not bound by these restrictions right now. Like you said, he's coming down to Florida. We're probably going to be seeing a lot more of Joe Biden, I think, coming up. But um, you can expect the the mailers. I mean, I've gotten all sorts of interesting mailers tacked on my door. That's going to probably increase exponentially in the next few weeks. William, what stands out to you in the presidential campaigns this year and how they're courting Florida voters versus campaigns in years past? Well, there's a major battle going over Hispanic votes in Florida. um, And there's a lot of concern by Democrats that the Biden campaign hasn't successfully reached Hispanic voters here. It's expected that Biden will win the overall Hispanic vote. The question is, how much margin will it give him? Of course, as as most people know, it's become pretty common knowledge now. Latino votes nationwide tend to lean Democratic, but in Florida for years, Cuban refugees have altered that. And the question, one question has always been in every election, what percentage of the large number of Cubans will defect from the Republican candidate to the Democratic candidate? This year, a majority of Cuban-American voters, apparently, according to polling that I've seen, are leaning toward Trump. And that could cut into the margin that Biden needs among Hispanics to win Florida. Steve? Yeah, like like William was just saying, the Hispanic vote is very diverse in Florida. Uh, You know, unlike the stereotype in the rest of the country that, you know, build that wall and all that stuff is in in his anti-immigration policies would really hurt Trump. The Hispanic population is much more diverse here. And there's huge populations from countries that have had problems with socialism in the past. Obviously, Cuba, a huge Venezuelan presence in South Florida uh, and Nicaraguans uh, especially. And one of those mailers that I was just talking about, I I get these mailers that lump in Joe Biden with the socialist freight train that's coming down the pike if he gets elected, right? AOC, uh, Bernie Sanders, and all sorts of left-leaning politicians on there. So this is part of the Republican strategy to, to paint Joe Biden with the socialist brush, right? If he gets elected, you're gonna see what happened in those countries you all fled from is gonna happen here. And this might have a lot of traction with particularly some of the South Florida Hispanics, maybe not so much with the Puerto Ricans in Osceola County, because they have been American citizens, they don't have that history here. Um, But one other thing that might be worth saying is that there's an age divide in each of these groups. The older generation that has these memories of socialism, being kicked out of their country, having their businesses shut down, they are probably going to vote Republican, but their kids don't have those memories and they tend to be more progressive. So in addition to a a geographical split, I think you're going to see a demographic split as well in the Hispanic vote. 
Well, let's look at some of the races down ballot. As we know, um, Democrats are trying to maintain their majority in the House of Representatives. And when we look at uh, congressional races here in Florida, and and particularly in in the Tampa Bay region, there was an upset in the Republican primary in the uh, 15th district, where uh, challenger Scott Franklin ousted incumbent Ross Spano. How does that race look going into the general election, Steve? Right. This is uh, one of the most important races in the state. Uh, Alan Cohen, the Democratic candidate for this race, has actually got endorsements from not only Joe Biden, but from Barack Obama, which is pretty unprecedented for a local race for somebody in his his first uh, race. So you can see how important it is for the Democrats to try to maintain their their lead in, in the House. Now, the Republicans, their candidate is Scott Franklin, a Lakeland City Commissioner, and he defeated Ross Spano in the primaries. Ross Spano had some accusations leveled with him uh, about campaign finance violations in his first race, so he got booted out during the primary. So this is really going to be one of the most closely watched races, not only in the state, but in the country. William, any thoughts you want to share on that race? The Alan Cohn-Scott Franklin race It could be the single best chance Democrats have to flip a Republican-held seat in Florida. Also on that list is the Margaret Goodburn Buchanan race in Manatee, Sarasota, and Southern Hillsborough counties. The Cone-Franklin race, the district, is East Hillsborough, the Lakeland area, and the Claremont area, and it is definitely a Republican-leaning district. But Democrats say that the voter registration numbers have been gradually edging up in their favor over the last couple of years. I've seen some internal polling which suggests it could be a tough, competitive, close race. One significant aspect of this is that Florida's congressional delegation right now has 14 Republicans and 13 Democrats. If the Democrats can flip one seat, such as CD15, the the Cone-Franklin race, or the Margaret Goodburn Buchanan race, if they can flip one seat, they will have a majority in the delegation. And that conceivably could affect what happens if there's a question or an undecided presidential race that's decided in the House of Representatives. That's because if the House of Representatives ends up deciding the presidential race, which can happen under certain circumstances, the Congress members don't vote as individuals. Each delegation gets one vote. And right now, Republicans control 26 delegations. If you flip one seat in Florida, you can also flip which party has control, has the most delegations in the House. So it could actually take a pretty long chain of of circumstances, of unlikely circumstances, but it could actually end up affecting which party wins the presidency. Steve, another priority for Florida Democrats this year has been fielding candidates in as many races as possible. Uh, And they even came up with a name for it. They call it the Sunshine Slate. You've done some reporting on this. Can you talk about it? Right. So the Sunshine Slate is the Democrats' attempt to get candidates on every single ballot, even in races where they haven't had anybody before, or maybe in like some North Florida rural districts where they really don't have a chance. But the idea is to get somebody on the ballot and kind of throwing jello at the wall and see what sticks. This is in essence a replay of what the Republicans did back in the Jeb Bush days about, you know, 20, 30 years ago, back when the Democrats had ruled the state forever. 
the Republicans were up and coming and they decided to do something similar. We're going to put people in every single race in the state. And it took two, three elections for some of these candidates to actually get elected. Uh, but in the end, it created uh, voter awareness for these candidates and it ends up creating a bench of, of candidates for seats that they might not have had before. I took a look at the uh, congressional candidate for the district that includes Northern Pinellas and Pasco County. This is currently held by Gus Bilarakis. This seat has been held by a Bilarakis for 37 years. Gus's dad, Mike, uh, represented that area before he did. And in several of the elections, Democrats didn't even have any candidates in here. Uh, so Kimberly Walker was tapped. She's a uh, corrections officer and Army and Air Force veteran. First time running for anything, and she's going at it. She's a black candidate, LGBTQ candidate, in a heavily conservative Republican district. So this will be interesting to see what kind of inroads she can make in, in that district. William, what do you make of the Democratic strategy to, to run as many uh, candidates as possible? Well, there are a couple of different possible approaches to this question, Bradley. One is, if you're a party that has limited resources, and Democrats generally always have less money than Republicans, you can concentrate those resources on a small number of races where you feel you have a chance to win. Or you can do what Steve's just been talking about, try to compete in as many races as possible force the other party to spend money, time, and resources defending seats that they currently hold. Democrats believe that they are now getting close enough to achieving parity with Republicans so that they can spread their resources among a larger number of races rather than simply trying to concentrate on a small number where they have a good chance. In the past, I've heard many Democratic candidates complain well, the party is giving help to this other candidate over here, but they're giving absolutely none to me. This year, more of the Democratic candidates will get party help, party money. So elsewhere on the ballot, Steve, are some proposed constitutional amendments. And the biggest one is a proposal to raise Florida's minimum wage to $15 an hour. Right. This is being bankrolled by uh, John Morgan, the Orlando attorney who's on all those billboards out there him and his dog. This might be the toughest year imaginable for this to pass, even though I think there's an overwhelming majority of people who are going to vote for this, because let's face it, it's hard to vote against a measure where you're going to give a raise to people who desperately need the money out there, especially the service workers right now who have been hit so hard. But this is coming under fire from a lot of the, the business interests. Business associations have said that this is exactly the wrong time to do it because it would decrease the number of jobs that are out there for service level people. Like I said, I, I think this is still gonna pass. It's really hard to vote against something like this unless maybe you're a business owner or involved in that. So uh, this would take the minimum wage up to $15 an hour. It's got a really good chance of passing. William, what other races are piquing your interest? Well, there are a couple of pretty hard-fought competitive state legislative races right here in, in Hillsborough County. One in Tampa, uh, a Democrat, Julie Jenkins, is challenging state representative Republican Jackie Toledo. And then in, in the northwestern corner of Hillsborough, 
and also extending into the northeastern corner of Pinellas, there's a seat where State Representative Jamie Grant, a Republican who seemed a pretty likely shoe-in for election, unexpectedly resigned and has been replaced on the ballot by a first-time candidate, Tracy Coster. Uh, the Democrat challenging in that district is Jessica Harrington. And the fact that Grant is now out, replaced by a first-time candidate, suggests that Democrats could have a shot at flipping that seat. So there are two potential races just in Hillsborough County where Democrats could flip Republican-held legislative seats. And this could get pretty crucial. Democrats would like to take control of the House. They're extremely unlikely to, but they could get closer to parity in the State House of Representatives. William, in addition to the election, this is also a, uh, a census year, and the census could affect uh, how many uh, congressional seats Florida could uh, get in the next decade. Absolutely. It will affect how many. The thought is that Florida will gain two and possibly three congressional seats. But if the census has been badly conducted, if Florida is undercounted, that will lower the number of seats that Florida will gain. Now, in addition to that, there's the situation that after each census year, there's a redistricting. And what happens is the state legislature draws new districts for itself and for Congress. Now, if Democrats could take control of the state Senate, they would then have some influence on that redistricting. Right now, Republicans control the Senate, the state Senate, the state house, and the governor's office. If Democrats could get to parity with Republicans in the state Senate, or if they could come closer to parity in the state house, then Democrats might be able to have some influence over drawing the new districts. And how the districts are drawn determines how politics goes in the state for the next decade. I would just say, Bradley, that there's another uh, important amendment on the ballot that could affect the course of politics in Florida over the long run. Right now, Florida has what are called closed primaries. Only members of a party can vote in that party's primary. This Amendment 3, I think it's called the All Voters Vote Amendment or something like that, would change that so that all voters would vote in a, in a general overall primary election and the top two, even if they were of the same party, would then compete in the general election. Now, there are a lot of arguments for this and against it. The, ar the main argument for it is that it would reduce extremism and polarity in politics. One of the arguments against it is that it would, could easily reduce the number of minority, particularly black candidates who are able to get elected. That's uh, William March, political analyst and correspondent for the Tampa Bay Times. We also heard from uh, WUSF politics reporter Steve Newborn. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much. All right. Enjoyed it. You can find more on the election and local races at WUSFnews.org. And be sure to join us on election night, November 3rd, for live special coverage of the results in Florida right here on WUSF 89.7. 
You can also join us for a Facebook Live conversation as part of The State We're In, where young voters from across the I-4 corridor share their thoughts on the race just two weeks before the 2020 presidential campaign comes to an end. We'll answer your questions about the final days of the election. It's coming up October 19th. That's a Monday. And you can find it on The State We're In or WUSF's Facebook page. Just search for The State We're In on Facebook or look for WUSF Public Media. Today's show was produced by Donora Prevost. If you missed part of the conversation or want to listen again or share it with family and friends, you can find it at WUSFnews.org. I'm Bradley George. Thanks for joining us for Florida Matters and hope you'll listen again next week.